Welcome back to the Brojo Online Podcast. Today we're going to talk about how to win at everything. This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity. I don't normally talk about how to get outcomes or how to succeed in the kind of external traditional sense because it tends to steer people towards a way of living that actually breaches their integrity and doesn't bring long-term fulfillment or a sense of satisfaction or meaningfulness. It tends to lead people towards superficiality or chasing things they don't really need or want. But if you've got your target set properly, if the compass is pointing in the right direction, then it helps to have certain strategies and tactics to make sure that you achieve the goals you're trying to achieve more efficiently than not. And today I'm going to share some of those tactics. The reason I hesitate to help people achieve outcomes is because when people do focus on getting outcomes, they generally end up using one of the least effective strategies. For example, if you try to get a partner, you're going to be very needy when you go out dating and meeting people, which is the least effective way to find a good partner. So usually when you focus on something, like if you focus on money, I've got to make lots of money, you actually become financially insecure, which causes you to avoid taking risks, which means you're actually not very good at making money. So not only is it superficial and sort of meaningless to chase those outcomes, it's actually very ineffective. And that's the main reason I don't recommend any approaches that focus on getting an outcome. It's not like just a moral thing. It's because it doesn't work. As I always rant on about, integrity is actually the winning long-term strategy. And that is not a moralistic viewpoint. It's an efficacy viewpoint. It's the most effective way to create a life that suits you really well. It should just make intuitive sense to you. If you are strongly and boldly being you, it will affect everything that happens around you. It will affect all your relationships, your work, your health, everything. And eventually will become a force that creates a life around you that suits your integrity. So you being you will become a thing that's very successful. But it takes a while. It's not an instant win. It's not a quick fix. It's not about grabbing an outcome on the outside and hoping that it fixes that hole on the inside. It's about doing the inner work. However... If you know that you are focused on that, if you know that integrity is your top priority, but you also want to do well in life, you also want to get the best available outcomes so that you can enjoy life as much as possible, today we're going to talk about those extra strategies and tactics that you can add to living with integrity in order to be more effective. So what the fuck do I know about it, right? What do I know about winning? Maybe you've never heard of me before, I'm not rich and famous and... I don't have all those kind of traditionally you know, worshipped forms of success. But I'll tell you what I do know. For a start, I've studied the most successful people in the world. And I've studied them intensely and tried to figure out what they have in common and what the rest of us don't, so to speak. But I've also got a few things going on. I got my degree in psychology at university barely making an effort. Okay, it was easy for me to do, and not just because I have some sort of academic advantage or talent genetically, but because of the way I did university meant the least amount of work for the best possible outcome. Within a year of starting dancing for the first time in my life, I was winning national tournaments. I've published three books and two music albums. 
I'm married to the woman of my dreams, essentially. And I have a child with her. And I did that all just by being honest. I have my own business that pays for everything that I need it to pay for. And I do whatever I want pretty much all the time. And when I was in employee career, I was the youngest ever service manager in the Department of Corrections. And then I was the youngest ever senior advisor in their history. And I was kind of head tapped to go to the top role of CEO before I left. And all of this while traveling around the world, being lazy a lot of the time, kind of doing what I want most of the time. That might sound like some sort of weird humble brag thing that I'm trying to do, but it's really not. What I'm trying to explain is I learned strategies that I applied and they were very effective. So what you don't hear is a lot of the failure before those stories. You know, there are things I tried to learn that I didn't learn. So I did Muay Thai kickboxing for two years and really didn't get much better at fighting. You know, I've tried things that didn't work for a very long time before I learned these strategies. When I share these strategies with you, hopefully you can apply them too. And there's really no reason why you can't. There's nothing special about me. I just learned these strategies and applied them. And you combine that with integrity and you're onto a really strong thing. One of the first things you've got to understand is trying to ask successful people why they're successful is actually often a dead-end road because they don't really know why. They have a narrative in their head that they want to believe is the reason they're successful. It's the story they want to tell you. But research really shows that that's not quite true. There's a great book, uh, Outliers, by Malcolm Gladwell, that talks about this concept of why people are successful and covers a lot of the areas that successful people aren't willing to admit, like luck and good timing and all these other things that they don't think were part of it, but were actually a huge part of it and most of it. For example, in the book, he points out that in the Canadian, uh, what do you call it, ice hockey league, most of the people have their birthdays in the first three or four months of the year. There's this like really strong congregation of birthdays in the start of the year. Why? Because if you dial back the clock, these were the biggest kids in school, right? Because they were the first to be born out of their year of kids. And when you're younger, size is a huge difference with, you know, months apart. So these were the bigger kids. So they dominated in sports just by size alone which meant that they got onto the representative teams, they were selected for special trainings, they got the best kind of training and education, and so they excelled quicker than everyone else because they're simply bigger when they started. Now, almost no Canadian ice hockey player will tell you that that's the reason they're in the top league. They'll say it's because I worked hard and because I've got a natural talent with this and that and whatever, whatever it is they say, they won't say actually it's because I was born in January which would be the most truthful thing they could say. A lot of people will tell you what they wish was true, that they were grinding hard and that they just worked harder than anybody else, uh, or that they're particularly talented, or that they're courageous and they don't give a fuck what other people think, or that there's some maverick who breaks the rules, because that's what they want to believe. What I'm going to share with you in this podcast is what's more likely to be the reason that they succeeded, and how you can copy and paste these strategies into your own life, even if you weren't born with certain advantages or privileges. So, in essence, today is about increasing your odds. It's about making the statistics go in your favor, most of the time by removing things that reduce your odds. 
First and foremost, I have to point out, I think the most important strategy is to carefully define what the word success means to you. Most people don't even have a clear definition, and the ones who do have an unhelpful definition. If your definition of success has got anything to do with gaining certain outcomes, or achieving certain one-time goals, or being in control of something that isn't really yours to control, then it's not a good definition of success. Mostly because all of those things can either be taken away from you, or they have a short shelf life of satisfaction. For example, if your idea of success is to be a millionaire, watch how long the the glow lasts when you actually become a millionaire. It might only be a few days. Then what? Now it's got to be 10 million? When do you stop? You're not going to suddenly get to a million and go, oh my god, my life is now complete. That is not how millionaires feel. Ask any millionaire. I've asked loads of them. How did you feel when you finally got to a million? And the answer is usually something along the lines of, good for about three days, and then I'm back to normal. Your definition of success, and it can be your own, it doesn't have to be the same as mine. In fact, it should be your own, if it's going to be based in integrity. But it needs to be some sort of sustainable way of living. Something that lasts. Being a millionaire isn't a thing that lasts, it's just a status that you hit once and then it's over. Usually it's not actually that big a party. Getting married is not something that lasts, because what if you get divorced? What if the person you married turns out to be a psycho? What if they die? It's too easy for that to be taken away from you. It can't be something that can be taken away from you. Oh, I'm going to get a six-pack and get all ripped. You think that's going to last until you're like 70 or 80 years old? Probably not. What if you get an injury that prevents weight workouts? You can't have success be defined as something that can be taken away from you or something that will not be meaningful for very long. But a way of living, a way of being, call it integrity, call it a code of honor, call it a disciplined practice. If you can develop something like that, then you can be successful all the time in any situation, no matter what happens. So think very carefully about what that word success means to you. Because if someone else can take it away, you've got a bad definition. So let's begin. First real strategy. Learning techniques. Most people simply learn wrong. We're taught how to learn in school, particularly in high school. And we're taught a very outdated, very ineffective method of learning. Basically what we're taught in high school is retain tons of information to be applied many years later. Remember dates, remember codes, remember whatever, replicate it once in an exam and then use it in your career in 10 years. It is such a fucking stupid way to learn. I don't know why anyone thinks this works. It clearly doesn't. Why do we need university if high school works? Because you get out of high school, you don't know anything, right? You have to actually go to school for the first time. And even university does this, like, three-hour lecture with no application. It's a terrible way to learn. It's not how we're built to learn. There are certain strategies of learning that you can apply, and you'll notice yourself accelerate greatly. I first tested this out properly with dancing. So when I first got into dancing, I was about 30 years old, a bit younger maybe. I'd never really danced a step before in my life other than in nightclubs, and that was... I'm so glad there's no videos of that. But I went in really as a beginner and with no natural talent, really. 
I had two left feet. I wasn't particularly better than anyone else going out of it. You know, there were Brazilian guys in there and shit. I'm like, you were born to dance. Fuck, I just feel like I'm made out of cardboard. It's ridiculous, right? But I applied certain strategies. One of those strategies is there should be at least seven times more practice than there is information. So if you spend an hour in a classroom, you should be spending seven hours putting that into practice before you go to your next class. Multiples of seven. So if I go to a dance class, I need to do dancing for seven hours after that class, practicing what we learned in the class before I go to another class. And this is the number one mistake people make is they don't simply don't practice enough. So that's what I did in dancing. I'd go to a class and then I'd go out on the town two nights a week just dancing three or four hours a night. When I got to the next class, I had nailed what we learned the last time. I'm like, okay, next, I'm ready. Getting coaches and mentors. So rather than trying to learn something on your own or getting sort of inadequate, mediocre teaching in a large group environment, getting one-to-one from somebody who really is good at it and knows how to pass that knowledge on and will give you feedback on the way you're doing it. Again, the practice rule still applies, but what you're looking for is someone who can pick apart the stuff that you can't see, point it out to you, and help you put it into practice. You know, whenever I get a one-to-one dance lesson, I come out 50% better than I was before. And usually we just focus on some tiny microscopic mistake I'm making with my footwork or my frame or something that affects everything. You know, and only they can see that. It's only, as soon, you know, as soon as I put my arms around a professional dancer, they're like, you're holding me wrong. Well, how the fuck do you know that? But they just know, right? And they can give me feedback that no one else can give me. I've got plenty more strategies that I can send you, so you can always just get in touch with me, dan at brojo.org, and I'll send you a kind of resource I've put together of learning strategies. But the main thing to keep in mind is you should actually put some time in learning how to learn, what's called meta-learning. Okay, learn the principles of learning. What is the fastest, most efficient way to learn something? Actually training yourself in that and then applying it to everything in your life speeds up your progress all across the board. It is time very well spent. And you'll find as soon as you start doing a few Google searches on how to learn effectively and start looking for some of that stuff that's outside of the box, you'll realize you've been doing it wrong your whole life and it's cost you years and years in progress. Second strategy, pick what you're naturally good at. What a lot of people do in all forms of self-development is they try to fix their weaknesses. Fuck that. Exploit your strengths. Forget about your weaknesses. Find out what you're naturally good at or what you generally do better than you do in other areas, and overemphasize your effort into that. Like, double down on what you're excellent at, rather than trying to bring everything up to average. Because if you if you go really hard on what you're good at, your weaknesses won't matter anymore. Okay, You'll find ways to compensate for them. You know, like when I first started my business, I put so much effort into trying to create a website, which is an area I'm very weak in. Okay, Everything from design... To, to internet technology is, is not my strong suit. I'm an artist, but I'm not a design artist by any means. I, I just can't draw for like You should see my tattoos. They're shit, right? But I put so many hours into trying to get my internet uh, marketing and my, my website game up to some sort of like basic level that all it did is took hours away from my coaching. A much better solution, which took me way too long to discover, 
was to pay someone who's good at it to do that shit. Well, I focused on making videos and putting out podcasts and doing what I do. As soon as I changed my focus away from trying to create a website and into serving people with content, my business escalated through the roof. I've never had to become good at website design. Even if you look at my videos and stuff, they're not really particularly well edited, are they? They're they're not really high quality in any way. And any fancy stuff you see in there, I've probably paid someone else to do. But they don't need to be. I don't need to be good at that stuff. I don't even need to speak that well. Because my clients, they hear me, they like what what they hear, they get in touch with me. That's all that matters. I'm strong where I need to be strong. If, for example, you're an introvert... Then socialize like an introvert. Don't try and force yourself into becoming an extrovert. You don't need to. Go do quiet, thoughtful, social things if that's what you prefer. Double down on that. Join clubs and groups and invite people out who are best suited to that rather than trying to squeeze yourself round fucking peg into a square hole or whatever that stupid saying is, right? Just make a list right now of all the things that you're better at than you're not. All your strengths. And you might already have a list in your head or on paper of your weaknesses and ask yourself, what would it look like to abandon my effort into fixing my weaknesses and take all that effort and put it in, put it into doubling up on my strengths? That by far is so much more effective because your weaknesses don't even need to be fixed. Fuck them, right? Find a way around them. Do something you're good at that compensates for them and you'll never actually have to deal with them. Number three, be lazy. Hard working is often uh, touted as noble and virtuous. And yet what hard working usually just means is being inefficient. It means putting a lot of effort and energy to getting a small result. Laziness is often shit on, isn't it? It's often seen as some sort of bad, uh, unvirtuous behavior. But you know what laziness really is? Careful selection of what works. That's what laziness is. It's how do I get the most done with the least amount of effort? And that is a good fucking question to ask yourself. Rather than how do I get it all done with strenuous effort, how do I get what matters done with the least effort possible? How do I save the most amount of time? I don't know why people don't ask this question more often. They just fill their time like a plate at a buffet that can't stop eating. Whereas what you really want is an almost empty plate. You gotta learn how to break the rules. Whenever you go into a system, there's a better way of doing it than anyone else is doing it, and it's probably a lazier way. In Tim Ferriss's book, 4-Hour Workweek, he talks about how he won the Chinese kickboxing championship by learning just how to throw people out of the ring, which is an automatic forfeit on their part. So he didn't basically learn any real kickboxing stuff. He was just a big white guy in a Chinese competition, and he just threw them all out of the ring. They didn't like it, but he won! He fucking won after like a year of training, right? Because that's what a lazy person does. Like, you know what? There's one thing I can do that would win every fight. I don't need to learn all this complicated martial arts shit. I'm just here to win. So I'm just going to chuck people out of the ring. If they don't like the rule, they should change the rule, right? So you've got to learn how to do things that people are going to think are wrong, but actually work better. Like you might find a way of working at your work where you get more done in two hours than everybody else gets done in eight. That's a good thing. That doesn't make you lazy, that makes you efficient. They're the ones who are inefficient. One of the kind of best ways to do this is to learn the principles. There's always principles of how things get done, and there are ways to make things 
successful with the least amount of effort. For example, I'm learning how to play chess at the moment. I'm not particularly good, but I'm getting better every day. At least my rating's going up. And what I've learned is just to stick to the chess principles. You know, I found a great blog post where somebody wrote them down, you know, never let your bishops get blocked, always protect the king, don't bring your queen out too early. And, you know, a grandmaster isn't going to bother with these because they're so much more advanced. But a beginner like me, if I don't know what to do, I just go to the principles. Okay, what do I do next? My bishop's blocked. Oh, let's just get him unblocked because I have no fucking idea what else to do. And I've found that more often than not, that's actually the best move. So rather than trying to learn fucking textbook and textbook and textbooks worth of just mind-numbing information about all the theory of chess, I can learn 21 principles and win more than 50% of my games just following those principles. That's laziness. Number four, or whatever the fuck we're up to. I'm going to stop counting because I didn't write down the numbers in my notes. Serve consistently, give freely. Most people trying to succeed focus on taking. They try to get something from someone else. They try to acquire results for themselves and resources for themselves. Ironically, in my experience, the most successful approach is to do the exact opposite. Give. Give surprisingly more than others give. You know... And this is not the same as self-sacrifice, okay? So self-sacrifice is where it hurts you to give, and it's this kind of martyrdom, victim-hero thing that you're doing. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is finding a way to enjoy giving, so it's a reward for you as well. You know, when I first started coaching, I used to try and get clients, you know? Whenever I reached out to someone, I was always with this kind of intention of, like, basically them becoming a client, which really means their money coming into my bank account. It was a very needy approach. I mean, obviously I wanted to do more good than that, but when you're you know, struggling to pay the rent, kind of clouds your thinking. I switched to this new approach after some great coaching I received, where when I wanted to reach out to someone, I made them a custom video that solved a problem that they had, and I sent it to them without even asking them a question. Nothing that might elicit a response no pressure on them to reciprocate, nothing. It was just freely given. I used to do like 10 of these a day. I just find someone who was struggling or someone who's trying to achieve a goal and I just send them my thoughts and ideas as to what might help them in a personalized video. And like nobody does this. I don't know why nobody does this in business. It's such a great approach. These people are like, holy shit, this dude made me a fucking video. Like they'd open the video suspiciously. And then they'd see me say their name and talk about their specific life. And it'd just blow their mind. Like, oh my god, he made like a 10 minute video just for me. I don't even know this guy. And they would watch. Now, not all of them would watch. But some of them would. And some of them ended up becoming clients. Enough of them that I coach full time for a living. I give surprisingly more than others. Like, if, you re if you're on LinkedIn and you receive messages, you know, most of them are just thinly veiled attempts to get something from you. If someone was to actually give freely to you in one of those messages, it would stand out amongst all the noise, all the crap and neediness that's on there. The same applies to anything else. Dating, for example. You can go out there and try to get laid or whatever. Or you can go out there and try to make someone's day better. You can go out there and try to surprise them with, you know, restoring their faith in humanity, that there are some good people out there. You can try and do that instead. Try and give to them. And you will stand out. So not only do you get to enjoy giving, it works out best for you in the long run. And of course, you develop a reputation. You develop an overall sense that this is a very giving person. If I get in contact with Dan, it's going to be good for me. 
And if that's your reputation, life becomes very effortless for you. Next tip, shoot out of your league. Stop going for the easy thing that you know you can get and go for the ridiculous thing that you really don't think you can get. The kind of thing that it would be worth it even if you only had a 1% success rate. Right? Think like that. Like, What's the thing that if somebody said yes just one times out of 100, it would be worth the other 99 times? The other 99 rejections. What does that look like? In dating life, does that mean going after the people that you're most attracted to in this world? In your business, does it mean like reaching out to the highest level podcasts and asking to be a guest? What is it? Because that's what happened to me, actually, in a number of ways. But one thing that happened to me when I was in Department of Corrections was applying for the service manager role way before I'm kind of deemed to be ready for it. I lost out three times because, you know, it was ridiculous that I was applying for it, but the third time I got the job. It only took three. And I became the youngest service manager, at least that I had ever heard of. Right? Every time I went for it, I learned something, I adjusted my approach, I went for it again. And this is the thing, if you keep going for it, you will get some feedback. I mean, if you're applying for something that's way out of your league, you're going to not get feedback a lot of the time. You won't even get a response. But when you do, you'll get a little something. A little something you can use. Like I said, what would be worth 99 failures? Because tell you what, if you try for something out of your league 99 times, you're pretty much guaranteed to get it that 100th time and probably sooner. Most people want a high quality life, and yet they go for a high quantity approach. For example, somebody wants a great partner, a high quality partner, but they date a lot of people. That's a quantity approach. Or they try to get laid as often as possible. That's a quantity approach. Somebody wants to be totally free in their lifestyle, but they try to make as much money as possible. That's a quantity approach, not a quality one. A quality approach, if you want to be free, would be working on your mind so that you feel free all the time. Doesn't matter how much money you got in the bank. If you need money to feel free, then you're not really free. You're imprisoned by money. You have financial constraints. If you can travel just within your hometown, then you don't need to fly around the world to be able to travel. And so on. What does quality look like? Quality looks like less quantity, doesn't it? It's it's five good friends instead of a hundred associates, right? It's two amazing clients rather than a hundred crappy clients that cause lots of complaints. It's about doing a few exercises that are ideal for building your body rather than spending three hours at the gym. Always ask yourself, what's the quality approach that creates high quality results? Not, what's the quantity approach that creates high quantity results? There's an exception to this, and this is in creative production. Perfectionism is probably the number one barrier to creatives pulling stuff out there. And here's where I actually recommend a quantity approach, because it actually is a quality approach. What I mean is pump stuff out. If you're an artist, keep painting. Pump out painting after painting after painting, because you're developing your quality as an artist by doing that. Like me, I just pump out video after video, podcast after podcast. I don't push that much thought into them. I learn a little bit off each one and improve the next time and just pump them out. I'm not trying to create a quantity. I actually delete videos or hide them when I think they're just bullshit. It's about practice. Lots and lots of practice. right? So if you're an artist or a creative type, you want to be pumping stuff out rather than trying to do everything perfect. You want to have a thousand things in the bin just to create one thing that you'll keep on the wall. Next tip, 
figure out what good enough means. What some people would call the maximum efficiency point. Now this is where the amount that you've done or the, the level of quality that you've achieved is enough to meet the standard or achieve the goal that you're trying to achieve. And what this means is anything more than that is waste. Okay, so people try to do things perfectly are usually doing it 30, 40, 50% more than it needs to be done. Great example of this is working out. You know, there's some really rock solid science now that shows that short, high intensity workouts, very specific, slow, painful reps are the way to go. Whereas most guys go and spend hours and hours at the gym and they hit their maximum efficiency point early on. After that, they're just injuring themselves. You know, there's a lot of science now to show that if you're sore the next day after a workout, you did too much. That's what that means. You actually create inflammation, which attracts fat. So you're actually doing your, yourself a disservice if you're trying to look good, at least. But you're, you're going the longest, slowest way to achieving your goal fitness-wise with big, long workouts. What most fitness experts nowadays will tell you is a short, sharp workout a couple of times a week is more efficient than spending half your life at the gym. This kind of thing applies all across the board. You might be thinking of the perfect thing to say to the person you're attracted to, when actually, hi, is enough. Just get in there and say, hi, how's it going? And you're away running. You don't need to be more impressive than that to get the conversation started. So why would you think anything beyond that? Usually just showing up's enough, making yourself known. And let the conversation roll out authentically. Start to figure out what's the minimum I need to do to achieve the short-term goal of whatever it is I'm trying to achieve. And then aim to only reach that minimum and not go beyond it. Think of anything beyond it as wastage that you want to conserve for something better. Next tip. The most likely person to have sex with you is somebody you've already had sex with. The best clients are repeat clients. The best business is repeat business. Often people feel urged to constantly find new all the time. Like if they're traveling, they always try to go to a new country. If they're dating, they always try to date new people. Or if they're making friends, they try to meet new people. They're trying hobbies, they always try lots of different things. When actually what you'll find is the most enjoyable and rewarding stuff is something you've already done and need to do again and go deeper with. I've found that like my coaching business now about 80% of my clients are repeat clients now I'm actually looking forward to a time in the future where there is nobody new essentially I just keep repeating with people I've already worked with it's better to spend three hours with a great friend than three hours trying to find new friends it's better to return to the country that was your most enjoyed to visit than to try in lots of different countries all the time I'm not saying that new is always wrong what I'm saying is you've probably already found a lot of good stuff and you should be doubling down on that rather than trying to find new stuff and trying to fix something that isn't broken. Next tip. As soon as you've learned about how to do anything to some degree of competency, try to teach it. There's almost nothing I've found more humbling and more helpful for learning than trying to teach something you think you know. If you can't teach it, you don't really know it. And as you learn how to teach it, you actually learn the thing properly yourself. Like I got into teaching salsa dancing shortly after I'd won a couple of competitions, but I wasn't an expert. I didn't have all my shit sorted, but I knew enough to get a beginner off the ground. 
And what I found trying to teach beginners is sometimes I didn't know how to explain to them what they needed to do. I could do it, but I couldn't explain it, which meant I didn't really know how I did it. So in, in teaching, I had to learn how I did it so I could pass that information on to someone else. And that made me so much better at doing it. Because a lot of the time you're good at something by a kind of luck. You don't really know how to repeat that or transfer it to other areas of your life. But if you try to teach it, you'll quickly figure out if the other person picks it up or not. And if they don't, then you don't really understand it. And you need to dive deeper into it. It also helps with giving back. If you constantly give back what you've got, as soon as it comes to you, it goes to somebody else. It also helps to that overall giving reputation and way of living that's so rewarding. You feel like you're just this vessel that you know good stuff passes through onto other people. You're like a, a distributor of good stuff, and that creates a really good feeling about yourself. And if that isn't success, I don't know what is. Next point, connect with high-quality people and serve them. The best way to create high-quality connections people who are like way above you in whatever grade you want to think of, is to make their life better, not to try and get from them. I quite often get requests for people to be on my podcast, even though I'm not a big deal. But the requests are so needy, like, here's a guy who you've never heard of, can he promote his stuff on your podcast? I'm like, uh, no, he can't. And yet, it really stands out to me because when I reach out to someone, I try to give to them. I've got a great story, I was on the Art of Charm podcast back when I was hosted by Jordan Harbinger. And I got in touch with him, and I can't remember exactly what I did, but I tried to serve him. You know, I shared his podcast around with my minuscule little audience at the time and just gave him lots of compliments on what he was doing and just basically tried to improve his day. And he responded by inviting me onto his podcast, which was, at the time, like the biggest thing I'd ever done, and it just doubled my business overnight. I wasn't trying to achieve that, I was trying to serve him. It was the same thing happened with my book publisher, I reached out to him to thank him for his book that he had written, next thing I know he's publishing my book, you know. So always try to serve the people above you, rather than try to get something from them. They never get this from people below them. They always get people trying to take. When they get someone trying to give, it stands out, they do notice, and it also makes them go, this guy's special, he gets it, I'm like this guy, and they connect with that. Make sure your goals are really long-term, 10, 20, 30 years type thing. 5 to 10 years at the minimum. If your goals are short, like I want this really soon, then you're going to probably engage in an inefficient or unsustainable practice. But if your goals are way into the future, and you have to live a certain way consistently, small pieces at a time, cumulative build-up, you're more likely to create a sustainable way of living that feels successful before you ever achieve the goal. Think of it like investing. I do this with my investment portfolio. I've aimed for the long term. I'm not, you know, fast day trading or cryptocurrency like binging, trying to make quick money. I'm doing the long, steady index fund, diverse portfolio with different things in case anything falls down, including my own business as part of that, I guess. And I'm just looking to become a multimillionaire in like 30 years which I'm looking pretty pretty good for at the moment. I get a 13% average return on my investments, doing it the slow, mixture of risk, moderately safe way, the boring way that actually works, based on all the expert advice, right? Building a business, building a social life, if you think more like in 10 years, this is where I want to be, not this is where I want to be right now because I'm desperate. 
you're more likely to engage in sort of longer, more boring, but more successful strategies that create a high quality of life and they build as you go. So as you get to see your bank account slowly getting bigger and as you get to see your social circle just improving in quality or you get to see your strength going up a little bit every week, it's like, all right, and then you get to feel like that all the time. It's like, and I built some more, and I built some more. Not like quick rush and then crash and then start from zero again. Next tip, have a high failure rate. If you have a low failure rate, you're playing it way too safe. I think a failure rate of about 80% is probably a good indicator that you're at the right level. So if you're a martial artist and you're losing 80% of your fights, you're probably in the right class. Because you get it right by getting it wrong. The way to become really good at something is to get it wrong all the ways it can be gotten wrong so that you never get it wrong again. As a Bruce Lee has quotes, I'm more afraid of the guy who's practiced one kick 10,000 times and the guy's practiced 10,000 kicks one time. You know, you've got to get in your reps and, and work out every single possible error so that you can see the fundamental design, you can see the matrix underneath the thing, and then you'll be unstoppable. Like somebody who applies this to, say, building a business, like they're willing to get rejected by clients more than they'll get accepted, and so on and so forth, they're the person that by the time they're successful, they're unbreakable. They could rebuild their business from scratch overnight, they would always be good at business for, for the rest of their life because they've gotten it wrong every way it can be and they'll never do it again. Whereas people who try to get it right all the time usually just stay in a very safe little comfort bubble which means no growth and eventually it means death because things that aren't going up are always going down. So if you're not failing a lot, you're actually going backwards. You just won't feel it straight away. Right now I'm doing it in chess. I, I've set the settings on my online chess app to put me against people who are better than me. So I quite often lose. When I'm playing against people who are better than me, I quite often lose. But when I'm playing against people the same level as me, I quite often win. Because I'm constantly practicing against people who are better than me. And you can in the app, you can analyze your games. And I don't analyze the ones I win very often. Sometimes I do just for glory. But most of the time I'm trying to analyze the ones I lost. Why did I lose? I want to learn all the ways you can lose. All the mistakes you can make. All the blunders you can make. All the wrong moves. So that I don't make them. When I see that I win, I don't really learn much other than the other guy made mistakes, right? I want to learn how to stop making mistakes because, you know, chess is a great representation of all life. Chess is really you lose by making mistakes. You don't win, you lose. So in chess, it's always somebody lost, not somebody won. Does that make sense? You're just going to make less mistakes than the other guy and you win. And that's so often, whenever I analyze my chess games, whoever won is the guy who made the least mistakes. That's every time the case. So, make the most mistakes so you end up being the person who makes the least. Next tip, you've got to get the right coaches and mentors. I've already talked about getting coaching, but these should be niche-specific experts with verifiable results that can be repeated and they should be good at passing on that information. All right, not every winner is a good teacher. You know, Magnus Carlsen is the uh, top chess player in the world at the moment. But when I try to follow his teachings, it doesn't really help me because he's kind of a genius. Even he doesn't really know how he does stuff, right? But you go a couple of levels down and you get the guys who got there by learning, not by being sort of talented. And they can tell you exactly how they got there and they can tell you exactly what you're doing wrong when you do your moves because they've made all those mistakes themselves and they had to learn it. 
So you want to look for the person who can translate great experience and true success into practical principles that can be applied by anyone. Next tip, have a supportive peer circle and connections. Ruthlessly eliminate anybody who doesn't lift you up. I'm talking even people who are just neutral. Get rid of them, create space for better people. All right. Assume everyone has a big impact on you. Everyone you have any sort of interaction with, they have a big impact on you. Whether you consider yourself to be resilient or not, you can't help them manipulating the way your brain is wired. Their information enters your brain, pathways are created, it's all out of your control. So if those are negative, if those are people who are discouraging, pessimistic, unhelpful, you won't be able to block the effect they have on you. It's literally not possible to interact with someone and block the effect that they have on you. The interaction is in itself an effect. So you want to make sure if you're being affected by people, it's good effect. You want to be around people who build you up. All right, It should feel like your quality of life improves when you're in their presence. If it doesn't feel like that, ditch them. Uh, one of the greatest ways I saw this play out is I actually went to a dating coach house in Vegas. I was staying there uh, temporarily to hang out with my publisher. And he lived in a house because he was a dating coach at the time. And he lived in a house with all these other dating coaches. And every morning they, they all have their own little side businesses and everything. And every morning they sit around the kitchen table working on their laptops. And like every five minutes or so, like, how do you do this? Oh, you, you should do that. Well, good job with that. And they're constantly working together as like a team, like fucking Navy SEALs, to achieve their own individual things together as a team. And I was sitting there, I'm like, this is a house. Like, this is just flatmates. And holy shit, they're fucking, like, ruthlessly efficient. They're just so helpful. Like, this is like this inner circle thing happening here. Like, nobody stands a chance against the combined power of this group. And I was looking at them like, that is a friend circle. That's what you want around you. Right? And I'm not just talking about, like, they're all trying to succeed in business, but they went and hung out together, they ate together, they chased girls together, whatever it is they did. They were this team and being around them made you a better person. Next tip, going against the grain. I got this from uh, uber-successful marketer Eben Pagan. If everyone else is doing it, it's probably wrong. That's a general business um, kind of cliche that I found proven to be very, very true. The majority of anything is usually in the wrong, because they're the majority. And the majority generally is a kind of momentum of leaders and followers and most of the followers don't really know why they're in the majority. They're just following. People who are doing what's best always begin as outliers. They're always weird freaks. It's only later that everyone follows them because it turns out they knew what they were doing. You know, when cryptocurrency first came out, people were giving it away. And now it's, you know, the amount they've given away is worth billions. They were the freaks and now they've moved into the center. Now it's going to become normal to have cryptocurrency right? Uh, it used to be having tattoos made me stand out. Now I walk around and it's weird to not have tattoos, right? The weirdos end up becoming the leaders. The what everybody else thinks is usually either wrong or a behind. Like if you're reading the news to get information on the housing market, you're already too far behind. The news is behind, right? Ask any property investor. They're not looking at the news to get their information about properties. They've got other sources. They're more up to date. Weird sources, if I look on the internet for what's happening in the coaching world, most coaches, or at least the products aimed at them, talk about marketing online. 
that's not what the best coaches in the world do. Okay, That's what a few successful coaches do. But the best coaches in the world you don't even hear about. They don't have a website. They charge fucking 20 grand an hour to work with them. And they reach out to you one-to-one. All right? You don't even get to talk to them unless they invite you. Right? They're doing something different to what every other coach is try- out there trying to do with fucking Facebook advertising or whatever bullshit they're trying to do that doesn't work. So in general, you'll know you're probably doing something right if it A, works, and B, isn't the way everybody else is doing it. Next tip. Get lots of feedback, but get it from reliable sources and dismiss feedback from unreliable sources. If you're in business, get your feedback from your clients and your business mentor and no one else. If someone isn't paying you for your business, their, their, their feedback is bullshit. You'll get a lot of feedback running a business from people who have not spent a dollar with you. Ignore it. Go to the person who spent the most money with you and get feedback from them. That's going to be valuable feedback. Social life. Find the people who like you and ask, why do you like me? What's good about me? What do you think of my strengths? Don't go to people who don't like you for feedback, right? If you've got a discouraging mum that's always kind of secretly hated you, don't listen to a word she says about how you should be. Go find the person who's been your best friend no matter what you've gone through. They're the person who can give you feedback on yourself. You want to get healthy. You go to a fucking athlete who used to be fat and fix that permanently and you ask how did you do it. You don't go to the obese dude who you've been flatting with who spends all his time eating chips and smoking weed and go, you know, what do you think I should eat? Go to people who are proven, who know what they're doing, who have your best interests at heart, who have been through the trials and tribulations that you're going through. They understand, they have empathy. Not the people who are unsuccessful and opinionated. For example, like on my YouTube channel, I always get negative comments here and there. And I quite often get them from people where if I look into the person, I'm like, why do I care what this person thinks? They're never going to be one of my clients. Whenever I look at the feedback from my clients, even if it's critical, it's very, very helpful. And most of the time it's positive, which is also helpful. It helps me know what I should do more of. When someone who's never paid me a dollar says that my stuff is shit, I might as well just delete it. There's nothing for me there. This person, I'll never work with them even if they like me. So what's the point of their feedback? Next tip, if it's too hard, make it smaller. I don't know why people try to pressure themselves into doing something that they can't do yet. That doesn't make any sense. Make it something you can do. It's what I call quantum parts. If a thing you're trying seems too big, make it smaller. Still seems too big, make it smaller again. Make it smaller to the point where you can do it, and then move to the next small step. For example, when I'm learning uh, dance tricks, so a trick in dancing is like those acrobatic moves you see sometimes. Somebody getting flipped over the shoulders or spun around. You know, anytime where both feet come off the ground for one of the people, that's called a trick. And some of these are really fucking hard to do and you get injured a lot and stuff practicing them. And We used to always try and do quite extreme ones because we just like it. What I found is you have to break the trick down into all these small parts and practice all the parts by themselves before you put them together. If you try to do the whole trick all at once, you just end up sort of cracking your partner's head on the ground. So, for example, if I had one where my dance partner would kind of go up around my shoulders and come back down, we'd spend a whole day on her just sort of like coming up to one shoulder and back down, up to one shoulder and back down, because that's all we could do successfully. So we'd do that until we were bored. We could do it so well. And then we'd be up to one shoulder and up the top and then back down. 
and so on. We just broke it down to parts until we could do all the parts successfully, rather than trying to do the whole trick over and over again and just failing and injuring ourselves. Next tip. Pressure is resistance. If you want to do well at something, you have to create a pressure-free environment. For some reason, we believe that pressure is helpful. If we put pressure on ourselves to get things done, that that somehow helps us get them done. What we don't realize is that all those things we've gotten done were in spite of pressure, not because of it. Pressure slowed us down. Pressure created resistance. Pressure made our results worse. Getting it done shouldn't be credited to pressure. There's so much research that shows now that if you're having fun, you are more productive than if you're serious and under pressure. So you have to find what you're doing. You have to find a way to make it fun. Whenever I'm working with uh, coaches, I don't do this very often, but I sometimes train other coaches. The key message I try to get across to them is that building relationships and serving people has to be fun for you. If you can have fun making other people's lives better, you will succeed as a coach. If you do that seriously, if you do it all under high pressure to make money and all that, not only will it be really needy and unsuccessful, but you won't enjoy it. You'll be very unproductive. So it only makes sense to try and make what you're doing fun. If you don't like the kind of exercise you're doing, change the kind of exercise you're doing. If you don't like going to the gym, then try rock climbing or martial arts. Do something that you enjoy as exercise. If you don't enjoy exercise, you're not going to keep it up and you're probably not going to be productive. You know, a classic example for me is I changed dating into just hanging out. I enjoy hanging out with people, but dating was very high pressure. So I eliminated dating, and I just made it I'll hang out with whoever I want to hang out with. And I didn't try to go on dates. I didn't do anything I wouldn't normally do. I'm not like, let's go out to dinner at a restaurant, which I never did back then anyway. I'd be like, oh, let's go to the pub for a drink, because I was going anyway, and you can come. And I eventually met my wife through dancing. So rather than trying to, like date i just went dancing because that was a great way to socialize and now i'm with a woman that i met there i made socializing fun by making it dancing rather than making socializing this high pressure thing that i had to perform at next tip make integrity the reason why you do things this is maybe actually the most important thing outcomes are just like a fun side effect if you get what you want yay for you you'll enjoy it for a little bit and then the feeling will fade it's just like a little perk, a little taste. What you really want is the reason you do things to be rewarding in and of itself. Okay, If you try to make outcomes the reason you do something, not only will it be ineffective, but often quite unenjoyable because you only get these spikes of reward when you actually get the outcome and the rest of the time just feels like hard work. Whereas actually if the process is enjoyable, you won't even really care much about the outcomes. For example, like I used to chase girls with dating and that was always just high pressure, unenjoyable and very rarely successful. When I focused instead on practicing honesty and courage with girls, so the primary reason I spoke to girls was to see how honest and bold I could be. I got to enjoy all the interactions and I was actually more successful with women. So trying to get laid didn't work, but trying to be bold as fuck to impress myself really did. Right? I get why Pete Davidson does so well with women. All right? He's not trying to get laid. He's trying to be Pete. It works very well for him. So if you make integrity the reason you do anything, if you're starting a business, going to the gym, have an integrity-based reason. Courage, honesty, responsibility, discipline, respect, whatever it is that gets you off, do it for that reason, and the outcomes will just be a side effect that kind of add a perk but aren't even really necessary. 
Couple more for you. Next one, sustainability. Whatever you're doing must be able to keep on working without you burning out. Okay, if what you're doing requires big holidays and rest periods and you can't keep it up every day, then you're not doing it right. It needs to be something you can do day in, day out, over and over and over and over again without getting tired. Real success comes from cumulative, sustained effort. It doesn't come from a short burst followed by a big crash, okay, which is how most people approach things. You want to be able to do it so you never need a weekend, you don't need holidays, you don't need a break. You're always living in a way that's easily sustained. I've got a whole podcast about how to do this, I call it something to do with relaxation. How you can relax by just changing the activity you're doing. So you always feel relaxed, but you're always doing some activity. Like something you can keep going on and on. If whatever you're doing doesn't work like that, it needs to change. You know, a great example is I work about four or five hours a day. I could do more, but then I need a big break. If I do sort of, yes, three to five hours a day, I can keep working like this for the rest of my life. No matter whether I'm sick or anything, I can do that amount. But if I do 8, 9, 10 hours a day, I need my weekends off. I need big crashes. I need fucking catch up later on. I need holidays because I burn out. Last tip, measurement. If you don't measure yourself properly, you will not make good progress. And most people do not measure themselves well, if at all. The numbers don't lie. You need to find a way where the measurement tells you exactly what's happening, no matter what you wish was happening. A measurement that doesn't lie to you. Yeah, something numerical, some sort of numbers that tell you exactly what's really going on. And it's something you need to check often. You need to measure yourself as often as possible. And if it doesn't work, if the measurement says this isn't working, it needs to be a system that you trust well enough to ditch whatever it is you're doing without that kind of sunk cost fallacy where you keep going at something that sucks. For example, let's say you're in a marriage. Every day you should rate out of 10 how satisfied you feel being with your wife right how, how how good is it to be in this marriage now those numbers should go up and down if you're being honest but what you find is if you're writing a lot of twos and threes for a sustained period of months that's a marriage that needs to end whereas if you're kind of writing a seven to ten on average for many many months that's a marriage that should keep going so these numbers don't lie you can say to yourself like we should stay married but if the numbers say no you fucking shouldn't then you got to trust the numbers and get divorced. You know, a great example for me was I used to use Facebook and my blog to try and reach out to new clients. So I was doing a lot of posting on Facebook, doing a lot of blog writing. And then I went and I analyzed all my clients, where all my money had come from, and said, where does the most money come from? And it was not Facebook, it was not blogs. Okay, it was me reaching out to people one-to-one, serving them. It was podcasts, it was videos. So as much as I wanted to fart around on Facebook and write blog posts that wasn't helping my business. So I ditched it, and now I do this stuff more often, because the numbers just don't lie. Most people, the reason they're unsuccessful is they don't realize they're unsuccessful. They don't realize that what they're doing doesn't work very well, because they're not measuring it properly. Find a way to measure that tells you the truth, and then use that measurement system as a guiding book. Follow it. If it says it's not working, stop doing it. If it says it is working, double up on it. I'm sure there's many more tips, and wherever you're seeing or reading this or hearing this or whatever the fuck, write down your comments below as other tips that you think work, and we'll share this stuff around as much as possible. And of course, if you want more, 
one-to-one personal type help with this, get in touch, dan at brojo.org. My voice is running out now, so I'll see you later. Cheers. This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity.